did today. And so I don't know if you guys remember the story back in August 2000. There was a Russian submarine called the Kursk. And it had a series of explosions that caused it to, uh, it caused it to sink. There was uh, 118 crewmen who died as a result of the accident. And one of the guys who died, his name was, uh, it was a 27-year-old lieutenant captain named Dmitry Kolesnikov. And as he was waiting to die, he was trapped in this inner chamber. Uh, he had a few hours before the rest of the crew died. He was able to scribble out a note to his wife. And they displayed two words from the note on his coffin, uh, like a black frame of his coffin. Here were the two words, mustn't despair. I think it's interesting. His last two words were mustn't despair. Now, it's not real clear who those words were for. I don't know if he was writing them to himself to try to encourage himself, hope beyond hope that, you know what, hey, maybe we're going to get rescued. Maybe someone's going to come and save us from this nightmare. Maybe he was telling himself that he had something to look forward to in the afterlife. There was hope beyond just this life. Uh, maybe he was writing these words for his wife that, uh, you know, she was going to have hope. Even though he was going to be gone, life was still going to go on. But for this 27-year-old Russian sailor, life was suddenly ended at the bottom of an ocean. And he, uh, the, the two words that he wanted to leave this world were, with were mustn't despair. You know, it's a strange thing. Not many people know the exact time they're going to die in history. And here's what, they, what studies show is people who do know they're going to die, they want to send out a message. They want to do something. If you remember in 9-11 when the planes crashed into the World Trade Center, the, um, if you remember, people, what were they doing? When they realized that they could not escape, they were making phone calls. They were leaving messages on answering machines. They wanted, they wanted the message to get out. When you had prisoners in the Warsaw Ghetto of the, of the Nazi concentration camps, what they found is after people had watched everybody else shot or starved to death, what they found is they found these little notes in crevices. People wanted to, someone to hear their story and hope, to, hope that someone beyond the Nazis would find these things. They hid, the, hid these little notes in these crevices of the walls there because they wanted to get their message out. And it's interesting, like it's in that final moment when all the scaffolding comes off, all the stuff that doesn't matter, all the trinkets that we chase, all that stuff just seems to be vanish away, things like reputation and security and wealth and comfort and ease, all those things we spend our lives pursuing, it gets stripped away when we find out what's really important. Now, that moment is going to come for you and I one day. We may have advanced notice or we may not have notice, but what is the life message that you want to see sent out? So I'm going to invite, uh, invite you to turn with me to uh, Daniel chapter 3. And so, because we're going to look at the story of three young men who may have been the same age as that uh, Lieutenant Captain Kolesnikov uh, as they faced this decision. These are, young, these are young men who had great promise. They had risen to positions of authority in the most powerful nation on the planet. They were looking forward to great families, doing noble things for God, having a, a fulfilling life. And we're going to look at the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or if you're a VeggieTales fan, Rack Shack and Benny. And I'm going to ask you to not rehearse the VeggieTales theme song in your head because it's like a haunting thing. Like you cannot get it out. So just, just uh, don't go there. Okay, Daniel chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 1, uh, chapter 1. And I just want to say this. I heard John Ortberg pre- preach a message on this passage probably two decades ago, and it so influenced me that I'm sure that it's going to come across today. It was, just a, it was a great approach. Here's uh, Daniel chapter 3, verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 90 feet high and 9 feet wide. And set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Now, we're going to find out he made an image of himself. Okay, I want you guys to get this. Um, 90 feet high. I want you to get this. That's 14 times the height of Shaquille O'Neal. It's three times taller than a telephone pole. It's one-third the height of the Statue of Liberty. And for you Disney princesses out there, it is one-half as tall as Cinderella's castle in the Magic Kingdom. I mean, this is, a, this, this is an ego trip of galactic proportions of this guy. Okay, so 90 feet tall, 
uh, nine feet wide. And so you figure a semi-trailer is six feet wide. Um, a king-size bed is six feet wide. And then you add a single bed to it, it's nine feet wide. So you stack this. This is a massive statue. Uh, he then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. Basically, he's throwing a giant party to celebrate the new shiny statue of himself. Verse 3, so the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, This is what you are commanded to do, O peoples, nations, and men of every tribe. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, so he's had a full marching band to come celebrate his shiny new statue here, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will be immediately thrown into a blazing furnace. Apparently there's some external motivation going on here. Verse 7, Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, and all kinds of music, all the peoples, nations, of, and men of every uh, language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Verse 8, At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You have issued a decree, O king that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harps, the pipes, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold. So here they're just giving the king a quote. They're just giving him exact, his exact orders. Verse 11, And that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. Verse 12, But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Rakshak and Beni, who pay no attention to you, O king. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. How do you think the king's going to respond to this? Someone with an ego this size, okay? Verse 13, furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I've set up? Now he's going to have the kind of the velvet glove approach. He's angry here, but he's going to have the kind of the velvet glove approach with him here. Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harps, the pipes, and all kinds of music, if you're ready to fall down and worship the image I've made, very good. Everything will go back to normal. Everything will be restored. But if you do not worship it, you will be immediately, you'll be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. What's so striking to me about this story is that their death is imminently escapable. I mean, all they had to do is say the word, bow the knee, and this whole nightmare would be over. It was, it was completely preventable. But they were headed towards unimaginable pain and death. And one word would mean life for them. But they would not say that word. They would not bend the knee. They had the choice between life and death. And they said, King, we will gladly face death rather than compromise and worship a lesser king. They said, the God we serve is able to save us. But even if he does not, we want you to know, King, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. It looks like their final words are, mustn't despair. 
Now we pick up the story in verse 19. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude towards them changed. Uh, one, one, expression, one translation says, and the expression of his face changed. In other words, he's turning into a different kind of person. It's almost like he's having a demonic manifestation. He is going to have this demonically charged rage. And um, here's what it says in verse 19. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. I want you to see, this isn't, <laughs> this isn't like walking these guys into a, like a lukewarm flame here. These are immobilized bodies being tossed into a furnace at its maximum. Remember in verse 15, he's trying to woo them. Hey guys, you know, if, uh, if you just bow the knee, everything's going to be okay. But now we're waypoint this. He, the, the king has completely lost it, and he wants to make an example of these guys. A word about the number seven. It says to heat up the, uh, the furnace seven times hotter. The word seven in the Old Testament is often used to mean a lot. Okay, that's basically what it means. In Proverbs, it says, though a righteous man falls seven times, he rises again. A fool thinks he's wiser than seven men who answer with discretion. Nebuchadnezzar is saying, I want you to crank that furnace up as hot as it is humanly possible. Now, I want you to think about what these men are facing here for a moment. Have you guys ever, like, burned yourself with, like, a match or just, like, a little, you know, a little bit of fire here? I don't know if you've ever done that. I remember a bunch of years ago, Mary was pregnant with our second child, Wesley, and uh, we had moved into a house in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, and we got in one of those gas grills. And so uh, we had someone assemble it for us. And it had one of those igniter switches, but this particular igniter switch was, let's just say, passive-aggressive. And so after lots of effort and even some verbal encouragement towards this thing, it's not working. And so uh, I remember after about an hour of uh, trying, you know, this thing was, you know, we're completely starving. Finally, I said, hey, Mary, do you want some help? No, I mean, I'm just kidding. It wasn't Mary out there pregnant. It was actually me doing it. And so I'm, I'm an hour out there, but you know, you're turning on the gas, you're turning it off, you're trying to let the propane clear off the deck. And so finally I get the bright idea. You know what? Uh, this igniter switch isn't working. I'm going to get a match. I'm going to go ahead and just get the match thing. And so it wasn't even one of the long ones, unfortunately. And so uh, somehow I hadn't let all the gas clear out enough between turning it on and off, and so I thought I did. <laughs> and so I get this match, and I put it in there, and it's like a dragon's mouth. This ball of fire came at me, but luckily I have leopard-like reflexes, and so I was able to dodge most of it. And so it singed my eyebrows, and it uh, burnt the hair on my forearms. And so just, I'll tell you what, just that little second gave me a healthy respect for fire. I mean, I, did, I didn't need to go with the full thing, but just that little bit, um, gave me a very healthy respect for fire. Now, in addition to the physical pain that these guys are about to experience, there is some deep uh, psychological pain that goes with being treated like a stick. I mean, in history, this is one of the cruelest ways for somebody to die, is to basically just treated like a piece of wood, just tossed like garbage into, uh, into, this, into this flame. And now there wouldn't even be a corpse to mourn, which in the ancient Near East, that was a big deal, to be able to have a body, to be able to mourn for the funeral. I remember I worked in an adult psychiatric unit when I was in seminary, and just, we just saw some absolutely tragic cases. And I remember there was this one man who was in his 30s, and when he was a young boy, his father had chained him to a tree, poured gasoline on him, and set him on fire and left him there to die. As a result, I remember he was partially deaf, he, uh, his speech was slurred, and uh, parts of his skin still hung off him like bracelets. It was just, just absolutely horrible. And I remember just the... the the psychological damage of having someone treat you like this in addition to the physical pain was just, just unimaginable. And here's the thing, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're going to face this face, they're going to face this face voluntarily. 
They're, they're saying, listen, we are choosing to do this rather than to bow our knee to a lesser king. So let's look at verse 21. So these young men wearing their robes, trousers, turban, and other clothes. Notice it's getting real specific here on the clothing. That's going to come back here in a second. They're wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. I want you to see the, the details of the writer. King Nebuchadnezzar, his rage was so out of control that he didn't, he, he didn't even register with him that the people that under his army, people that were under his charge, they were passing away trying to terminate Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So this is not a story about people, you know, like I said, running out of a lukewarm fire. This is, there is no hope, humanly speaking. Immobilized bodies tossed into a raging inferno. And I want you to stop and I want you to just try to imagine the best you can the experience of these three young men facing their final moment. What are they thinking as they, they can see the flame? They've, they've just watched you know, the king go off in this rage. They're being, they're being tied as tight as they can be possibly tied. They watched the king's men who have just died, and now they're standing in there, and they're waiting for the searing heat. They're waiting for the smoke inhalation to fill their lungs. They're waiting. Every exit, every uh, chance of escape has been closed, and now they're facing certain death. And it begins to dawn on them as they're sitting in there. Hold on. We're not even getting warm. You know, we're not even tied up anymore. And now they're walking around. And here's the thing, guys. That's not the best part. The best part happens when this turns in uh, from a miracle of protection into a divine encounter. Listen to verse 24. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement. The word uh, can be translated as trepidation. There's this element of fear. He is like freaking out in this thing. And he asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, O king. You can just see these yes men. Yes, certainly, O king. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Apparently, there was a fourth member in the furnace club that day, and he was unharmed. Apparently, he's the one who delivered the other three. And he convenes this little meeting right there, right there in the furnace. So here's the question. Who is the fourth man in the furnace here? Who is this one who can cheat death and remain unharmed and deliver other people uh, from these flames here? Well, the text doesn't say, but I think maybe it was Jesus. It just sounds like something he would do, doesn't it? They had the world's greatest small group meeting right there in the furnace. And I tell you, I wonder what they said to each other. I wonder what the fourth man in the furnace told these young men. I wonder if he said, I am so proud of you, and the Father is so proud of you, of your loyalty, of your devotion. I wonder if he told them that because of this one act of faithfulness that their names would be remembered for over 2,500 years, that hundreds and hundreds of years, and in cultures far away and in other languages, this story would be the thing that would give people the courage to stand in the face of persecution. Their names would be remembered two and a half millennia later. I wonder what they said to the fourth man. I'll bet you they poured out adoration and gratitude and devotion, and worship didn't have to be worked up at that point. It's a funny thing. They came into this situation planning on withholding worship from a false god, and they ended up pouring it out on the one true God. And the furnace, which looked like it meant the end of their lives, it turned out to be the greatest thing they'd ever experienced. It turned out to be the can't-miss event of their lives because the furnace turns out to be the place where they met God. Listen, guys, here's the whole point of the story. They were hoping to get delivered from the furnace, 
but God decided to deliver them in the furnace. Guys, in your life and my life, sometimes God delivers you out of the furnace, and we love that. But sometimes he's got something deeper going on where he wants to deliver you in the furnace. Jesus said to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and he says it to you and I today, I'll meet you in the furnace. Jesus is a furnace kind of guy. He says this, if you follow me, there may be dark times. There may be things that are scary. It's, uh, but if you'll keep following me, I'll meet you in the furnace. Let's keep going, verse 26. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace. It doesn't say it, but I'm wondering if he approached it from like a considerable distance. I mean, remember, when the other guys got too close, and so you can kind of see him like inching up there. And uh, he says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God. Boy, he's having a little heart change here. Something's going on. Come out. Come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. Can you imagine that walk out of the fire? I don't know about you guys, but I can just imagine there had to be a little bit of a strut. Like, hey, King, how's that golden uh, statue worship party going there? Right? You know, I'm, not, I'm glad it wasn't me. I'm just saying my heart may not have been able to, <clears throat> to not strut. And the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was the hair of their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. The writer says that even their robes weren't even scorched. I love it. Remember back in verse 21 where he's going into all that detail about their clothing? Do you think he was doing this because he had an eye for fashion? No, he's actually giving us the extent of the miracle. He wants us to understand, not only are these men saved, not only is their hair okay, but God even protected their clothing. In fact, the clothing that's named in verse 21, it's very obscure. The term robe uh, refers to a covering of the body that has an inscription in Aramaic that says, the king threw me in the fiery furnace, and all I got was this lousy t-shirt. No, actually, I made that up. That's complete. Verse 28, then King Nebuchadnezzar said, praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command. Now, who was the king whose command they just defied? <laughs> it's Nebuchadnezzar. He's praising them for defying his command. This man who was just a madman moments before. I mean, this is absolutely astounding. This man, he killed his own soldiers with such a carelessness, it didn't even register him what he was doing. Something is going on in this man's life. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, here he goes again, be cut into pieces and their houses turned into piles of rubble. Okay, apparently he hasn't got the whole freedom of worship thing. You know, King Nebuchadnezzar is not like a Bill of Rights guy here yet, but uh, something is definitely going on in his heart. And um, for no other God can save this way. Then, king, the, then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. I love this. He doesn't just uh, restore them. He promotes them. Now they have new positions of influence where these people of great character now can influence more of the nation. Now, I wonder what the rest of their lives look like. I don't know if you, if you realize this. This is the last mention of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the Bible. We don't actually have anything else of what happened to them. But I wonder if they, as they went through life, they looked back on that day and they thought, you know what, we could have easily missed that adventure. You know, it would have been so easy for us to just bend our knee and our lives would have taken a completely different trajectory. They would have missed the greatest encounter that they would have had with the fourth man in the furnace. I wonder if when they were real, real old men and uh, if they would get together on the anniversary of this date, let's just say it was, you know, 
uh, what's today, April 26th, you know, whatever it was, April 26th at 10 o'clock. Well, I wonder if they had it on their calendar that every year on that anniversary they would get together and they would get out those old turbans and robes that they wore in that thing. Now they're out of style and they're full of holes and their wives tried to get them to throw them away, but they would not throw them away. And on the anniversary of this day, if they would get together and they would wear these robes and they would talk about the time where they were young men, full of courage, and they defied a king and walked around in the flames and spent a few moments with the living God. I'll bet they did. I'll bet they never forgot this moment. It's ironic. The furnace, which looked like death, turned out to be the safest place to be. Why? Because God was there. Because sometimes God delivers people from the furnace, but sometimes, friends, God delivers people in the furnace. And I think those times are the greatest times of your life. I think there's a great danger in the Church of America and Western churches. Uh, There's a danger for Christ followers, and the danger becomes this, that the primary goal of my life becomes furnace avoidance. I think that's a great danger for the church today. It said, I pray God deliver me from pain and discomfort and suffering and inconvenience. Make my life smooth. Make my life easy. Make my life comfortable. Make my life pleasant. Remove any obstacles. Here's a strange image. I I think it'll help us this morning. Picture God having a calendar. Now, I know he's omniscient, so he doesn't need a reminder. And I know he's omnipresent, so he's already there all the time. But just work with me here for a second. Imagine if God had a calendar And uh, on whatever date it was at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they had their deal with Nebuchadnezzar. Let's just say it was 10 a.m. And so he puts it on that date. So he goes and he shows up, but Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego never made it there. They bowed their knee instead. Wonder with me, um, where on God's calendar does have your name written down someplace, meet you in the furnace? Will you make it? Or will you bow your knee to a lesser God? and lose the opportunity to change the heart of a king and influence a nation. I want to ask you to consider doing something quite dangerous this morning. You don't have to. It's completely voluntary. But it's this. Stop praying for less furnace and start praying for more presence. Don't ask for an easier or richer or more pleasant or more secure life because there's something better. It's amazing how often our human hearts, they get trivialized by these stupid things. Somebody cuts you off on the freeway and you get all bent out of shape. Did my boss give me an angry look and hurt my feelings? Did I not get the recognition I have to have at work or at school or from the opposite sex? Did I get an unexpected expense and now I can't buy what I really want to have? Did somebody interrupt my important me time? Is my career not going high enough? Did somebody create an obstacle in my life? Guys, I think what God is calling us to is a deeper level of devotion. Maybe there's people in your, in your workplace who are far from God and they make it difficult for you to work. I want you to know, uh, Nebuchadnezzar wasn't exactly like an employer of the year type guy. And yet God, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and they weren't saying, God, get me out of this situation. They're saying, Lord, you've got me right where you want me to be. And they were literally able to change the heart of that king. What if God, I know a lot of people that are praying, oh, this job is terrible. I'm with cranky, miserable people. Well, so am I. And so are the people who work with me sometimes, okay? Nobody has a perfect work environment, but for the people who are trying to pray to get out of those environments, what if God has you there for a season to change the atmosphere? What if God has you there to change the heart of a wicked king or queen? Maybe God's been whispering to you to get involved in some form of service, and it's kind of scary. Maybe God's wanting you to do on a missions trip, actually maybe become a missionary to serve in the inner city, to serve somewhere, to use your spiritual gift and step out and take a risk, and maybe it feels scary. And you've been avoiding what feels like the furnace. But I'm here to tell you this morning, God is the God of the furnace. He's actually in the furnace. And so what I'm asking you to do this morning is tell him that you will meet him there. 
You may not understand how the whole thing works, but you're saying, God, I'm feeling you calling me to this thing. It's scary, but I know it's you. And I'm going to ask you to stop avoiding the furnace and meet God in the furnace. Maybe the furnace for you involves a relationship or a financial hardship or uh, leaving of a job or whatever it might be, giving or sacrifice. I don't know. I just know that the golden, the 90-foot golden statue in our lives tends to look like comfort and ease and security and success. And somewhere along the line, so many, too many Christians have gotten the idea that being a follower of Jesus means having a life of security, having a life of comfort. Somebody put it in the form of a question. How many heroes of the faith had easy lives? I want you to think of like Hebrews 11, you know, is that, was it just like, you know, endless uh, champagne wishes and caviar dreams, and it's just, you know, massages all day, and people singing your praises. Where did Jesus ask his followers, say this to his followers, God has a wonderful plan for your life, and primarily that involves a great house, an attractive spouse, terrific job, wonderful car, and an endless succession of easy days. What Jesus basically says to people is, follow me, and you're going to have a great big God and outrageous joy and you're going to be in trouble a lot of the time. That's basically the call. Throughout history, hundreds and thousands and millions of uh, ordinary men and women, most of whom who their names have long since been forgotten, history, history will not remember these people, but they said, God, I will give everything to you. Many of them, even to the point of their lives, God, I will die for the cause of Christ. And when they did, when that final moment came, their basically their message was, mustn't despair. God did not forgive them. He did not overlook and abandon them. God said to them what he said to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's the same thing that he said to Stephen, the first martyr for the Christian faith. It's the same thing he said to Paul and Peter who were persecuted and beaten and thrown in jail and most likely martyred. It's the same thing he said to Corey Ten Boom and Dr. Martin Luther King and Dietrich Bonhoeffer and what he said to Mother Teresa on the streets of Calcutta, what he says to followers today in China and Albania and North Korea. And maybe, just maybe, today, somebody in Columbus or somebody watching online, he says to you, I'll meet you in the furnace. Guys, this is your day. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they had their day. Corrie ten Boom had her day. Martyrs had their day. Stephen had his day. Peter and Paul had their day. This is your day. And your final moment is going to come. And I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what it means to you. I just know who will meet you there. Here's what God says in Isaiah. Fear not, though you pass through the flames, they will not burn you. They will not destroy you. God's message to you today is I'll meet you in the furnace. Mm -hmm.